Well, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 24 verses. Genesis chapter 5. The major divisions of Genesis are marked off by uh, words like this. This is the written account of Adam's line. And usually what follows is a, a sort of genealogy or the beginning of a, of a new part of the story. And so Genesis 5 uh, ends the first part of the book of Genesis, and now it begins another one. So Genesis 5, and we'll read the first 24 verses. This is the, the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, his own image. And he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Adam lived 930 years. And then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters And altogether, Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel, and after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters, and altogether, Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, because God took him away. Let's hear the preaching of God's word. Well, I greet you in the name, the greatest name, the name of God himself, the name in which you were baptized the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're studying four graces of the Christian life, graces that this glorious God works in the lives of all his people, and yet that we are to make every effort to grow in as well. We've seen uh, the grace of humility, that great emptier, and now we've come and are studying faith, the great receiver. And we're seeing just why these graces are elevated in the word of God, Uh, why they're so important, why they're precious. And they're precious because of what they do. And faith receives Christ and everything in Christ. And then we've been looking closer at that and, and what all faith does that makes it so precious. And we've seen that faith unites us to Christ. It purifies our hearts. It overcomes the world. It sees the unseen, and now this morning, it pleases the Lord. Faith is important. Faith is precious. 
because it pleases the Lord. And I want to begin with three general truths about pleasing the Lord. Then we'll come to faith itself. Three truths about pleasing the Lord. Number one, God is a God to be pleased. Children, have you found that certain things you do uh, please your parents? And, and you can tell it by their faces. Their eyes light up. Their smile goes on. What comes out of their mouth? They praise you. They commend you for what you've done. They may even reward you with something. What you did pleased them. Now, you've also found that certain things that you do displease them. And again, you, you see it in their eyes and you see it in their frown and you hear it from their words. And there may even be some punishments tacked on depending on how badly you displease them. Well, according to the Bible, God, your maker, is a being who also can be pleased as well as a being who can be displeased. And that's to say that there are things that bring this God pleasure. And there are things that bring him displeasure. And as his creatures, it's our duty to please him. There's over a hundred verses in our Bibles about pleasing God. This is no unimportant topic. It's the issue that confronts everyone that is born into this world. Who will you please? Yourself? Or your God. Now the Lord Jesus, that perfect God man, saw the issue clearly. He says in John 5.30, I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. That's what Jesus sought after. And it's also what he accomplished. As he tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 29, I always do what pleases him. No one else in all of human history could say that in truth. I always do what pleases him. No, no, we have rather displeased him by pleasing ourselves. And that's why God sent his one and only son to be born as a real man into this world, that he might please God perfectly by his perfect obedience to his commandments. And that by being that perfect, obedient son, he might thereby qualify to stand in as our substitute and to be sacrificed, to, to bear the punishment and wrath of God for displeasing him. And that's what he did for all who will repent and trust in him. He suffered God's wrath in our place that it might be turned away from us and that we might be forgiven, accepted, found well-pleasing in God's sight and have fellowship with him, a loving friendship in which it is now possible for us to please him. So living in living and dying, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, shows us how we are meant to live, to always do what pleases him. That's a simple summary of our duty to God. Not my will, not my pleasure, but yours be done. So pleasing God is at the very heart of what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Christian is to be on a diligent search to find this. I'm sorry, I've jumped pages here. Uh, to be like Jesus is to do what pleases God. All right? That's the first truth. The second general truth, pleasing God is to be the new goal of our lives. Second Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may give an account for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Do you believe that? If so, you will make it your goal to please the Lord. Now, our goal used to be to do what pleased ourselves. That was our number one concern from morning to night. It was our priority pursuit in our B.C. life, before Christ's life. But then we, we were saved and we got a new master. We got a new heart and we have now a new goal. 
It's, it's a new aim, a new ambition in life that gets you up in the morning and keeps you going all day long. It's to please him who saved us from eternal torments by his own blood on the cross. Now that's a goal to be pursued. And it stretches over the whole of our lives. It touches everything we do. All day, every day. We pursue it. We make it our goal to please him. You see, that's something you must do, Christian. You must make it your goal to please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And that means as I rise each new day, I say to myself, I have nothing more important to do today than to please the Lord in everything I do. Other things will have to wait. This can't. This is why he saved me. This is why I'm a new man. That I might fulfill this goal for all humanity to be like Jesus and to do those things that please the Lord. And we have spent enough time in the past doing what pleased us. It's high time to please the Lord. I challenge you to make that your conscious goal every morning that you rise this week. This new goal stretches, as I said, over all of our life. We, we pursue it, but we're also to pray for it. Paul writes to the Colossian believers in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and he tells the believers in Colossae uh, not only that he prays for them, but he tells them what he prays for them, that they might learn how to pray for themselves and for other believers. He says, I keep asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he tells them not only what he prays, but why he prays it. And we pray this for you in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That's why I'm praying for you. And that's why I'm praying that you will know his will and pleasure. Why? So that you may please him in every way. Do you pray that way? God, help me to please you today in every way, in all I do. David prayed that way. He ends Psalm 19. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be, be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, we, we, we pursue this new goal. We pray for it. And pleasing the Lord for the believer is not an unattainable goal. It is true of those who are still in their sin nature. Those who are controlled by the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 8 says. But it's not true for the Christian that we cannot please God. It's not an unattainable goal. A new heart, and it's because of the resources that have been given us in Christ. A new heart that wants to please God. Christ, the Holy Spirit now living and working within us, a supernatural energy to will and to do what pleases him, Philippians 2.13. And Jesus Christ constantly interceding for us on the throne before the Father, making us in our works acceptable to him. As our confession of faith says, he takes pleasure in our sincere efforts to please him as he views them now in his son and rewards them, even though accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. For to be accepted in the beloved is to have our works done in faith to him now also accepted in the beloved Jesus. And so the Bible talks about this not as an unattainable goal, but as something that is being attained. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 15, 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but those of the pure are pleasing to him. It's not an unattainable goal in Christ. So that's the second thing. We have a new goal. And thirdly, if our new goal is to please the Lord, then it is our delightful duty to find out what pleases the Lord. And that's what we read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10. Find out what pleases the Lord. 
So the Christian is on a diligent search to find this out. Now, where would you look to find out what pleases the Lord? What if I told you that a book has been written and written by the Lord himself for this very purpose to tell you what pleases him? That he, in this book, opens up his heart, lays it bare before you and says, child, this is what pleases me. Would you buy it? Would you read it? Would you pour over it every day of your life? Would would you memorize parts of it? Would you meditate on it day and night and make that the one book that you know better than anything else in this life? Because you want to find out what pleases the Lord. Would Would you keep it front and center? Would you hide it in your heart so that it's always there? This pleases the Lord. This doesn't. This pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Would you find out and keep it before you? Well, the Bible, of course, is that book, isn't it? And that's what we're all about here. And I would ask you, are, would you attend preaching that, that explains it and, and opens it up and applies it to you to show you what is pleasing to the Lord. Listen to what Paul says to the believers at Thessalonica, the church there. Chapter 4 and verse 1 of this first letter. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now, we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. That's why we need to be constantly reading it. That's why we need to be constantly sitting under the preaching of it. With the spirit of God present to teach it. Why? Because we need to know what pleases the Lord. And then be urged to do it more and more. Do you know that you can please the Lord more than you are right now? That's what Paul says. You you are living this way that pleases the Lord, but we are urging you to do it more and more. So this world is constantly bombarding you on how to please yourself, isn't it? From all sorts of places in the world comes this voice. Do what's best for you. John, please yourself. And you've got a flesh with inside, a voice with inside that amens everything that the world's saying. And you've got a devil at your elbow that's urging you on to please yourself and not God. So how are you countering that steady drumbeat that you live in the atmosphere of? There's only one way. It's to find out and to keep before you, to hide in your heart what pleases the Lord. And to be urged to do so more and more. Well, it's not only our duty then to find out what pleases the Lord. But I said it's our delightful duty. Our delightful duty. This has always been the delightful pursuit of people in love. You notice that? Uh, The more in love, the more they make it their goal to please the other. And the more energetic they are about finding out what pleases the loved one. So Wilbur had a favorite cologne for 25 years. And then he found out that his beloved liked some other cologne. (laughs) Wilbur's splashing a new cologne. Why? Because he loves her and wants to please her. And when he found out what pleases her, he switched. Wilbur's a potato and steak kind of guy. Until he found out that his beloved likes raw fish wrapped in seaweed, no less. So what's Wilbur to do? Find a new girlfriend? No. He needs to find a new restaurant. And that's what he does if he loves her, you see, and wants to please her. He finds a restaurant that will serve sushi and steak. (laughs) Love pursues the pleasure of the loved one. In fact, love finds pleasure in the pleasure of the loved one. 
And that's why I say this is a delightful duty. One way of coming to the Bible is to come to it to find out what the lover of my soul is pleased with. I challenge you to do that in your daily reading of his word this week. Just to remind yourself as you're coming through and finding your place, I am now coming to find out what the lover of my soul is pleased with. It'll change the way you read the Bible. Because it matters to us since we want more than anything else to please him who who gave himself for us. And we want to avoid like the plague anything that displeases him who gave himself for us. So with this in mind, we we now come to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Turn there, if you will. And, And as we're turning, remember, we're on a hunt to find out what pleases the Lord. And here we find God so eager to tell us that faith pleases him. He actually makes this point at the end of chapter 10, and he hammers it home throughout chapter 11 and on into chapter 12. So what's the situation? Let me just remind you. These Jewish Christians had been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, as their Old Testament scriptures had said. And then Messiah came. God came in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and fulfilled those prophecies of Messiah and now sent out his preachers into the world and told them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And they had done that. They had trusted in the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know what happened? They got persecuted because of it. They got ostracized, socially distanced, and and put out of of families and synagogues and, and businesses. And they suffered dearly for their faith in Jesus Christ. And much like us with the pandemic, Uh, They started out well, unmoved in the face of suffering. But it's another thing when it just goes on and on, isn't it? And the novelty wears off. Staying at home, wearing a mask wherever you go. Social distancing. We get tired of it. So they did too as the persecution just wore on and on and on. And things were getting worse rather than better The daily grind of persecution left them spiritually fatigued and worn out. I say spiritually fatigued to the place where they were in danger of giving up the faith, turning back to a Christless Judaism in order to end their suffering and their persecution. And so the book of Hebrews is fired off to them. This is this is something they need. It's urging them to keep the faith, to go on believing, to persevere living by faith, since only those who persevere in faith to the end will be saved, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. So chapter 10, verse 35 to 39, notice what he says. So, so don't throw away your faith, your confidence. That's what faith is. It's confidence in God. Don't throw it away. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. You'll find that 22 times in the next chapter. My righteous one will live by faith. Just those two words, by faith. Faith. Now notice what he says. And if he shrinks back, that is, if he shrinks back from a life of faith in Jesus, goes back to his old way, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who believe, and it's in the present tense, who go on believing and are saved. Can you see? Abandoning the faith does not please God. Real faith does. Persevering faith does. And though this faith is a grace that God works in us, yet faith pleases the Lord so much that it draws forth his praise, his commendation, and yes, even his rewards. 
So chapter 11 begins, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. And this, that is faith, is what the ancients, those old guys at the beginning of your Bible in the Old Testament, this is what they were commended for, for faith. Children, just as mom and dad, when they're pleased with you, commend you for it. They praise you for it. God does that with his children. And this is why they're, they're found in Hebrews chapter 11. God is praising his children for their faith. He's commending them as examples to us. And so we come. That's true of all of them, but especially so in Enoch, verse 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he, commended, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Enoch pleased God. Faith is precious because it pleases the Lord. Now, what do we know about Enoch? Well, the Bible tells us very little. We read in in Jude that he was the seventh from Adam. And if you were careful in counting the genealogy in Genesis 5, you saw that he was the seventh from Adam, just as Jude tells us nearly at the end of the Bible. But the more important thing or interesting thing is, is that Adam lived so long that he was still alive when Enoch lived. Which means Enoch could have gone over to his house and, and said, Mr. Adam, would you tell me again what this world was like before sin and the curse? He could talk to him about that. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Genealogy found in chapter 5 that was read uh, follows this formula where it tells how many years the man lived before the birth of his firstborn son. And then after that firstborn son, how many total years, how many more years he lived, and then the total is given, and then it says he died. And that formula is followed from Adam right on down to Enoch for seven generations, at least, or for eight generations. But when we come to Enoch, we notice two important changes. After the birth of Enoch's firstborn son, Methuselah, instead of telling us how many years he lived, it says Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Everybody else, it says he lived 300 years. Not Enoch. It says he walked with God 300 years. And then it repeats, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. So unlike the others, this is the second thing that's different. He never died, but was just transplanted to heaven. So others were said to have lived so many years. Enoch is said to have walked with God so many years. And that's because to Enoch, living was walking with God. You know how Paul puts it? For for to me, to live is what? It's Christ. And and to Enoch, uh, to live is walking with God. Now, when... It says Enoch was walking with God. Don't don't think of of power walking. Don't think of the young lady with her $150 tennis shoes on, uh, has the the, the watch ticking the pace, and and has uh, her arms swinging like a tin soldier, her earbuds in. She's not stopping for anything until her 45-minute power walk is over. Don't think of that when it says Enoch walked with God. Rather think of a of a husband and wife madly in love out for an evening stroll. And they're walking together hand in hand. And they're just enjoying being with each other. And there's tons of conversation about their day, about the challenges of it, the joys of it, the delights, the concerns. Yes, even plans for the futures, their fears. It's an open heart-to-heart exchange. It's a walk and talk of love. 
And that's what Enoch did for 300 years with the living God. He walked. He lived with God. And so his troubles confronted him. He told God about them. Lord, I'm up against this thing. What do I do? I don't know what to do. When, when he, he, he felt his need and his inadequacies, he, he asked the Lord for help. Lord, I need more patience. My wife, my kids, my workmates, help me. And, and when, when God gave the help, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I knew it was you. I knew it. You, you don't disappoint those who seek you. And he, and he, he, he thanks him. And so he goes through his day. His joys are experienced. He praises God from whom all blessings. That one came from you too, didn't it, Lord? I knew it. I knew it. Thank you. You're good. You're good. He's walking with God. Refusing to live without God. But rather walking and talking with God. Is life a walk with God for you? Is that the way you live your life? Well, let me just say this. If you're walking with God, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith. We're, we're going to look now at faith's role in walking with God. You see, because God is spirit and does not have a body like men. Therefore, if we're going to walk with him, we're going to need to have faith. Faith that is sure about what's unseen. And so we're going to need to be real sure that God is with me, even though I can't see him. That I'm never alone. You never walk alone. But he's always with you. And it's that way every day, all day for the believer. Are you aware of that? That, that You'll only be aware of it by faith. Like Moses in, in verse 27. He, he saw him who is invisible. Like David says in Psalm 16, 7. Or verse 9. I've set the Lord. Verse 8. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be moved. He sees him there. He's there. How does he see him? He sees him who is invisible by faith. So if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to walk by faith. And it takes faith to believe that that when you talk, there's someone on the other end of your prayers. And that he's actually listening with attentiveness. With a sympathetic heart and with the wisdom and power to answer in the very best way. You're you're going to need faith. If you're going to talk with God, you're going to need to believe that he exists. You need to be sure about that. And then you're going to need to be sure that, that he rewards those who seek him. That he never goes back on his promises. That you can expect from him. You ask according to his will and pleasure. You can expect to to see him do what he says. No one seeks him in vain. And then you need faith to believe that he is there and is not silent. That he is speaking. And he is speaking to us in this book. That takes faith. To believe that what the Bible says God is saying. God is saying. God is speaking to me right here. Not some voice here or there. Right here, God is speaking. If you're going to walk and talk with God, you're going to need faith. And Enoch had faith, and you're going to need faith as well. Enoch walked by God with faith. Now, the Old Testament summary of Enoch's life, then, is he walked with God. We saw it twice in in Genesis 5. But when we come to the New Testament summary of his life, here in Hebrews chapter 11, we notice a different wording of the summary of his life. Verse 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, here it is, he was commended as one who walked with God. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, as one who pleased God. Well, so which is it? Do we have a, a, a contradiction in the Bible? Is, is, it, is it that he walked with God or that he pleased God? 
Well, there's no contradiction at all. These things are complementary. They fit together perfectly. And what God is telling us is that to walk with God is to please God. And what makes a walk with God pleasing to God is faith. Because without faith, verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God. So what can we know about Enoch? Well, we know he walked with God. 300 years. And we know that that walk was pleasing to God. He pleased the Lord. And we know that he, it was pleasing to the Lord because he walked by faith, not by sight. Faith is sure, it's certain of him that we do not see. Faith takes him at his word. Faith has an eye toward God in everything we do. We live for him, for his honor, for his praise, for his pleasure. We do what he says because he says it, because he wants it done. We live with him, in fellowship with him, drawing from him, receiving from him, trusting in him. A life of faith is a God-centered life that's always taking him into account. It's not life without God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. That's the way the world lives. But not the, not the believer. Now God's in the picture. And faith keeps him there. And, and faith... Faith's call is to fix your eyes on Jesus, to, to make sure you lock on to him and don't go far in your day without making sure that he's in the picture, in your thoughts. The reason why you're doing what you're doing. A life of faith is a God-centered life that takes him into account. And such a life honors God. And therefore, it's pleasing to God. God says, I will honor those who honor me. And Enoch so honored God with a life of walking by faith that God says, there will be no, special, no, no, no ordinary honor for you. you. You so honored me, I'm going to so honor you. And he just said to him one day, well, you're coming home with me today. And he just transplanted him to heaven without ever dying. Just showing how, how, how pleased he is with a life of, of faith. Walking with God by faith. So our faith places a high honor on God's truth and on his faithfulness. It says with Noah, God's word can be counted on. He never fails. Even if you've never heard of something happening, you can count on it if God says it, says Noah. Faith says with Abraham, God's power can be trusted with things that are impossible with men. I can still trust God. Faith says with Joseph, God's wisdom and love can be trusted through the darkest valleys to the bitter end. He keeps his promise. Faith says with Moses, to have God as my God is worth more than all the, the gold and the pleasures and the status found in Egypt. I'd rather have Jesus than, uh, and his unseen rewards than anything this world can offer me. And faith says with Jesus... The greatest example, as well as the object of faith, that enduring the cross is worth all the joys that God has promised. Your faith that scraps your plans to fulfill his, that refuses your pleasures of sin in order to please him, that honors him and that pleases him. So to visit Hebrews chapter 11 is to find out what pleases the Lord. That's what, we're, that's what we're finding out as we turn to Hebrews 11. And not only from Enoch, of whom it says that he pleases the Lord, but all the others. That's why they're here. That's why they're commended. That's why they're, they're held up before us. Because they did what they did by faith. And faith pleases the Lord. But without faith, it's impossible. To please the Lord. Do you believe that? It's a staggering statement if you think about it. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. 
So hear me. There's nothing you do in your life. Nothing. But that you need faith to do it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Because without faith, it's impossible. So take worship, for example. The first two boys on the planet, we find them at worship. And God was pleased with the worship of Abel, but not pleased with the worship of Cain. Why? What made the difference? Now, some commentators will tell you, well, it's clear. Abel made a blood sacrifice of an animal, and Cain only offered grain offerings. No, no. What they offered was not the issue. God ordained both grain offerings and animal offerings. Rather, God's explanation on the event here in Hebrews 11 looks right past the difference in what they offered to how they offered it. You notice that? Verse 4, chapter 11, Hebrews. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. According to God, the difference in the the worship was the presence of faith or the absence thereof. It was faith that made Abel's offering a sweet-smelling, a well-pleasing aroma to God. Isn't that a beautiful way the Old Testament talks of, of sacrifices and worship that is pleasing to God? It's like an aroma. And God says, ah, that, that brings me pleasure, like it gets the juices rolling. When you smell the neighbor's steak frying over in his grill. That's how God takes true worship that's done in faith, you see. Even so, today, many are worshiping God. They're gathered, uh, even with the, the virus and all, they're, they're gathering. But only worship that is, that, that is pleasing to God is worship that is done in faith. Where, where the worshiper has faith in God's one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And trusting in him and his sacrifice as the only thing that makes them acceptable and therefore makes their worship acceptable in his sight. It's only acceptable through Jesus. And that's where their faith is. And that's pleasing worship to the Lord. And they worship God in the way he wants to be worshipped. You see, their worship is done with God in mind. Well, well, I can't just worship him any way I want to. How does he want to be worshipped? You see the God-centeredness of true worship? I'm asking him. My eye is on him in worship. They're in, they're in attendance, these who worship with faith, not because it's just the way they were raised. It's the thing. Oh, it's Sunday again. I guess it's time that we go to church. There's no faith in that. No, no, they, they come because God has commanded his worship. They come because God will meet us here and God deserves to be worshipped. You see, God is in the equation of those who worship by faith. And so... They're here because of God. And they give their offerings in faith to the Lord, as Abel did. Recognizing he's the one who's given me everything that I have. I give nothing to him but what he's first given me. And I recognize God in my offering, you see. And, and they sing in faith to the Lord, who is good and great and greatly to be praised. And they, they pray with faith. They don't just, oh, somebody's praying up here. She'd be done. No, no, I'm praying with him. I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeing that there is an unseen God listening right now to his prayer and mine as I piggyback it on him and his prayer. And when we sing, I sing for joy for what the Lord has done and promised. You see, God is in it. God is in it. Faith in God is in the worship that is pleasing to him. Now, you and I can't see this faith difference in others, but God does. And that's the only kind of worship that he accepts and is pleased with. Proverbs 15, 8 says, God detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. You see, the upright, the righteous, and the righteous are those who walk by faith. And they worship by faith. There's nothing we do that's pleasing in God's sight if if faith in him is not involved. So kids, why do you obey your parents? Well, they're bigger than us, and, and they would punish me if I didn't. And, and 
Where's God in all of that? What, what is... Without faith, it's impossible for your obedience to please the Lord. What does Colossians 3, verse 20 say? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Oh, I'm going to obey my parents because that's what pleases the Lord. Now you're, you're obeying by faith, you see. Now, now God's in the picture. You're seeing behind the authority of mom and dad to, to the one who put them there at the top of the chain of command. God himself. He wants this done. Then I will obey and honor my parents because it's pleasing to the Lord. You know, men there's, and women, there's a way to work. And kids as well. There's a way to work that's pleasing to the Lord. And there's a way to work that's not pleasing to the Lord. And again, the difference maker is faith, isn't it? It's that Godward look of faith. So Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. There's faith. Faith that brings God into the picture. I'm, I'm here at this, this eight-hour job. I'm here for the Lord. And I'm working for him, not for men, the text goes on to say. Faith, you see, makes the difference. Because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. What a bummer to, to work eight hours in a, in a hot place, a difficult place with difficult people. And in the end, it doesn't please the Lord anyway because I didn't work with as unto the Lord. I didn't have a thought of God that I was there to work for him. No, we work for the Lord, you see. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. But hear me, when you do what you do for the Lord, because he says so, because he wants it done, and for his sake, everything you do is pleasing to him. The smallest thing. You're helping your little sister with something. God's pleased if you're doing it. Because you know this is pleasing to the Lord. He wants, he wants me to love others. A cup of cold water in his name. Oh, he sees it. He won't overlook anything that's done by faith. But rewards it, commends it, is pleased with it. Faith in Jesus is the Midas touch that turns all that we do for Jesus into gold. The gold of God's smile, his pleasure in what we've done. And it's faith in Jesus that is the Midas touch. What, what must he be worth? What must his sacrifice be worth? That faith, Christward, makes whatever we do pleasing to the Lord as we do it for him. Well, it's a privilege then, isn't it, to walk with God every day, all day, to do what we do by faith, walking with him, pleasing to him. If you're without Christ, without saving faith, you can't walk with God, and nothing you do can please him. You say, then why, why should I come to worship? Because not to come is a worse sin than coming without faith in Jesus. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. If you're going north and I'm going south, we can't walk together unless we come to agreement. And if you're walking in the darkness of your sin and, and going your way, and God is the God of light who, who's walking in the light, you, you can't walk with God. You're going to have to stop, turn around, repent, of, and renounce your way, and put faith in Jesus Christ and come and walk with God. To walk in the truth, to walk in newness of life that Jesus gives. Then you can walk with God. Do you know he's inviting you? He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But put your neck in the yoke with me. Come on, let's walk a while. No, let's walk 300 years. Let's walk your whole life. And what will you learn? You'll learn from me. And what will you find out about me as you walk with me? Jesus says, you will find that I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find that walking with me is rest. And you'll find out that the life you thought was life was unrest. But now you've come home 
when you come home to me. You could begin your walk of faith this morning. He's ready if you are. And brothers and sisters, I wonder if we've ever been struck with just the wonder of the fact that this God that we sang about this morning, that is so great and glorious that, that anything that we would do, what are we? Just a little speck of dust here on this earth? That anything we do would, would catch his eye, for one thing, that he would take notice of us. But that he would actually take pleasure in us. Is that not condescending love? Is that not amazing that, that what you do tomorrow, today, all week long, you could be an ingredient in the pleasure of this God? Psalm 149 says that, that the people of God ought to be singing with joy in the assembly. We've done that this morning. But it goes on to say that we ought to be singing on our beds. Any of you do that? Why? What, what is so good that, that we, we sing when we're together and we even sing when we're alone at night on our beds with our thoughts as we lie down? Because the Lord takes delight in his people. Isn't that a wonderful thought? He takes pleasure. No, no husband ever loved a wife like Jesus loves his people. Takes pleasure. Read the Song of Solomon. It's not a one-way love. It's both. Each delighting in the other. That's Jesus and his people. He delights in us. He's delighting in you. Oh, if he delights in us, we ought to delight in him, shouldn't we? And we sing that. We cry out for that in our closing hymn. Our response to God this morning is that, oh, I would delight, Lord. I would delight in thee. And then we cry for stronger faith and we renew this goal that is ours to love and please him more. So stand and sing with me as our response. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.